0: Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt our programme of dance music to bring you a special bulletin from the Intercontinental Radio News. And if you just read this is
1: a test transmission. It opens a new and, I think, exciting chapter in the story of radio. This is going to be a service to provide a tremendous amount of information and satisfy a lot of different interests. I was always
2: itching to shake it during a programme.
1: In the air, on the river and underground.
3: We
4: hope very much that uh, Derek can hear us. Can you hear us? From Resonance 104.4 FM and social broadcasts, this is the Transmitter Radio Hour from xmtr.fm, a space dedicated to sonic storytelling, original sounds, new voices, and archive treasures from radio broadcasts, podcasts and sound art across the globe. I'm Lucia Scadzocchio and I've been scanning the digital soundscape to cut through the noise. The next hour is dedicated to the joyful chaos that is Angel Edmonton in Enfield, North London. Once an industrial hub attracting factory workers and their families, the area... Was neglected for decades as factories gave way to warehouses and social housing fell into decay today it's a multicultural crossroads undergoing massive redevelopment echoes of angels produced by social broadcasts takes us on a trip down the main archery four street guided by the people who live and work in the area
5: If you wanted to go from here to there, you had to walk in the road because the pavements were so occupied.
2: You will find four streets will be busy. Busy.
6: I do most of my shopping here. I come here for some baggings.
7: The street is very busy. You've got people of different cultures.
8: There was everything here, all the major outlets and little shops here.
7: I used to just avoid
9: restrooms. So only once in the blue moon, you may see me on fourth street.
10: There was big Marks and Spencers and you know, people used to go there for their clothes.
11: And, you know, Shopping the, uh, in the high street is incredible. You can get anything you want. As a white person born in Manchester,
12: in fact, I love and I find it fascinating the cross-cultural nature of 4th Street.
7: I would say it's very busy.
2: I just find that 4th Street
5: is full of life. This used to be just a fence. It's probably 50 yards from 4th Street. We were so busy, it was ridiculous. Just can't imagine it now. What I sell in a week now, would have sold in about 10 minutes. There was three stalls here, and there was 17 people involved in them. i have called Charlie Richardson. Proper name's Henry. Charlie's my dad's name. I've been here full time about 60 years plus. I was born in North Middlesex Hospital. Lived in a little cottage on the where the car park is for about the first 15 years of my life. And then with the slum clearance thing we moved over to the flats across the road. Then when I got married I moved a little bit further out just the other side of the railway line. Then I came back here about 32 years ago and lived just 100 yards from the stall now. wife would like to move but this is my life, uh, it keeps me going. Uh, I know full well that if I didn't do this, I'd be just on a settee and that'd be it. Went to Rainer Road School, which was the one up there. I finished up getting a job with an engineering company as an apprentice draftsman. So that's where I met my wife 62 years ago. I stayed there until I got an and my view, pack up work, come on the stall full time, or well, the stall's not gonna cope. She was just a post-girl. <laughs> she was only sixteen. I think it was like a magnetic attraction. We're like oil and water there. <laughs> no, it's one of those things. A friend of mine the other day's wife said Tony's not gonna come round the stall anymore because everybody's died. <laughs> one fella used to come up here, he died a month ago. That was Jock, one-legged jock. But at my time of life it suits me in so much. The thing is, um, financially, it sounds stupid, but I do it as a hobby. The thing is, it keeps everybody talking I haven't got any customers that I don't get on with. They're all people I've known for years. We're all right here. The customers, they're all friends, you do them all. Like you'd say, on a Saturday morning, people used to come up at the same time, like in the queue but most of them have died or moved out now. So, no, know, it's, it's, it's a different world today, totally different.
13: We meet by chance at Charlie's stall. Old wise heads, come one, come all. In a way, it's like a club with dear old Charlie at the hub with tales to tell and times recall, with friends when young we went to school. We reminisce on days of yore, remembering those who are no more. We often say how times have changed and how the high street's rearranged. We talk of businesses just started and of tradesmen long departed. The discussions amongst the fruit and veg Memories from the past we dredge Of stone-white steps and beating mats Long before they built the flats The corner shop with penny drinks Peanut butter and bags of pinks No thought of crime when we were young The streetwise games were so much fun Knock down ginger and tibby cat The string that knocks off the copper's hat the social gathering at Charlie's stall, a pleasure to those who can recall, the times and memories to share. will always find a welcome there. A cheery smile, a pleasure to greet, a nicer man you've yet to meet. Who'll remember when we are no more, and join all those who've gone before. When there's nobody left to carry on, then all our memories will be gone. I'm Keith Mowat and I've lived in Edmonton in the same house for 87 years I brought up my family there a boy and a girl and they've got their own families now great-grandchildren yeah, I spent most of my life in the furniture trade my uh, father was born in uh, Sunnyside Road South And that was the the family home, uh, with brothers and sisters. And uh, my mother was born in Bethnal Green. My mother played piano, and they wanted someone to play a a piano for a party for a seaman who was coming home on leave. And that seaman was my father. So that's how my mother and father met, and uh, there you go. Over the hill, over past the railway line, we used to have, bus after bus used to come up, thousands of people would be in the queue. There was British Oxygen, uh, Glover and Maines, and uh, that's now where Tesco's is. Also there was furniture, uh, Bucility, Nathan's, there were numerous furniture factories, it's all gone. It's all retail trade now. Entertainment was mainly the regal cinema. Uh, we once had, believe it or not, five cinemas in Edmonton. Each were popular in its time. And On Saturday mornings, there was Saturday morning pictures, strictly for children. Sixpence. Sixpence. And there was queues of thousands of kids. The bouncer man who used to go around and make sure we were behaving ourselves. If you didn't stand up to attention when the National Anthem played, he would come and clipped you around the ear. You know, <laughs> people used to take sandwiches. And by the time you queued from about seven o'clock, you were hungry, so your mum and dad give you a packed lunch, as it were, you know. When we all come out, we reenact what we have seen like, you know. It was very good
9: when people ask where is home unfortunately i say edmonton <laughs> i had some beautiful memories growing up in edmonton as a child you know things have changed so much in the many years i remember playing out on the roads and the streets with my friends because i used to live behind north middlesex hospital I remember walking there in the mornings to go to high school, it was called Outward. And I remember walking there beautifully with my friends in the mornings, no problems. You may hear about one or two little incidents, but nothing as drastic as modern times has been, you know? And I had some beautiful memories. And even though you're trying to explain it to the young people, you don't really get it. You know what I mean? It's like, when we were growing up, we had chores. And as soon as your chores is done, we was on the roads. And because we, me and my sister, our family was quite the, the soul of the of the road. We didn't go knocking for children; they always came knocking for us. Like I said, we're not going nowhere. We're just in front of our house, just sitting on the wall, or you know, just there. And it's amazing because I went down the road the other day, same road we was growing up on. When we was a kid, the place looked so big, so wide. We thought we had a whole football pitch on that road. And we used to play basketball, netball, lockdown, ginger, and all these things. <laughs> it looks completely small. My mum's always had that open house. Always, always. And my mum's one of these people. She was like, your friends can always come. You can't go, though. It's mad, because I say that to my kids. Listen, the whole world could come, but you're not going. Because I know what's going on in my house. I don't know what's going on in somebody else's house. It's crazy. I remember one time, my sister was about 14 and she had, she had about 20 kids in our house. And you know, they come for a sleepover for the weekend. It was holiday. Please tell me why a week later, they will go home and get changed, you know? Their parents will phone. You know, back in the house song was the thing. Their parents will phone and say, OK, so, so. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're here. They're like, all right. And then they're coming back. It's, it's getting a bit much now, like 20 kids. It's a bit long. <laughs> but how often do you see that nowadays? You know what I mean? I think people are so busy, don't have the time, don't have the patience.
14: I do have a bit of time here. You can go up if you like, So we work there. Now, This is our first floor. We're based on two floors. And then we've got our pool tables. It's a community club for members. And we've got darts, the usual sort of pub games, if you like. And we just try and provide a you know, safe, comfortable, relaxing atmosphere. That is our main sort of ethos. The name is Cousins Snook and Pool Club. We've been doing this for about twenty years. We built up, you know, I think, good level of experience, and we understand, you know, snook and pool. I didn't grow up in this area. I grew up in Hackney, but I know the area well. I had uh, cousins that used to live not too far from here. There used to be a swimming pool in Edmonton Green, so we spent a lot of time, you know, around here. We are originally Kurdish refugees, so we came over when there was a bit of upheaval in Turkey and there was problems. My father was here and he had us come over. And then we've been here ever since. So I've sort of moved around London. We originally lived in South London. And then from there, we moved to Hackney. I love London. I've grown up in London. I call it home, you know. There is a big Turkish-Kurdish community. I think they're, they're having a positive, even I see the youngsters that come in here. I see a lot of positive things. Like sometimes people look at young people and think, oh up to no good or the troublemakers but when you get to know them you know some of them they're, they're very clued up you know and you can see that they're good members of the community it's more culturally diverse everyone's doing their business you know we have the somalian community various turkish kurdish restaurants business owners i think it's a positive thing you know i mean it's not the most highly sort of uh, financed area in terms of like money wise but I think the, the community just gets on, you know, and they do what they can. And obviously there's improvements, there's always room for improvement. And I, I, I see this like a little oasis, you know, in the in the desert sort of thing, when people do come and you see how comfortable they are and the compliments you get, is, that means everything. You know, when they're when they leaving and they, they've got a smile on their face and they're thanking you for the service, you know, it means everything. And we want people to come in with their families, that's including their, their wives, their girlfriends. The daughters, the sons, you know, the granddads.
6: I've been there, my first attempt to play snooker. And um, I loved it. Um, my name is Selena. I have lived in this area since 2003. I used to live in Highgate. Then I bought a flat in Wood Green, And then I thought it's important for me to find a house. And the only place I could find something affordable was in Upper Edmonton. I have one child and she was in primary school then. And her primary school was in Crouch End. So the journey, the rat race of getting out to school and then going to work because I used to work in the city. So I needed to juxtaposition how to navigate, dropping out school and then rushing to work in the city. I wasn't enjoying my job. So I felt that it was probably time for me to have a career change, so I moved into the charity sector. And uh, since then, I have grown to appreciate the diversity of this area. My maternal language is a language called Fuga. I'm originally from Nigeria, and my daughter has mixed heritage. So as it's usually the numb, the mother tends to speak the language more than the dad, so she gets mine. We felt that our language creates an intimacy between us. She used to say, the only reason why I use the language outside is to tell her off. I said, no, it's also to share secrets. (laughs) And the, the power of being able to speak to her in my language is more than any medication that anyone can prescribe to me. Being able to converse with me is what stands out when she meets with those that want to question her identity. What makes me happy is being able to keep myself busy, being able to see new things that is making this area look better Being able to activate dormancy into something productive and creatively beautiful and being able to have a voice representing people that look like me and challenge the stereotypical perception of what some people deem as the norm and have become consumed by the need to contribute to what needs to be done to change the narrative of how the area
15: is viewed. Growing up in like a single-parent household where it's just us two, I really enjoyed those days where my mum would make like a really big meal and like bring all family and friends over and traditional like Nigerian food as well. Um Tahira. I would say I grew up in Edmonton. I was actually born and raised for like eight years in Wood Green. Then we moved to Edmonton because I think my mum wanted uh, just a bigger house. So she didn't actually know the type of area it was. She just saw the house. I was very excited. It was like a house. It wasn't a flat. It had a garden. I remember like the smell of like the wood. The movers brought everything in. And then me and my mum, we just sat in the kitchen on the floor. Like, (laughs) this is our new house. So I studied biochemistry at university. But it was literally just before university that I realized that I didn't want to do medicine. That's not what I want to do. I don't know what I want to do, but that's definitely not it. I don't want to commit, you know, eight years to something I'm actually not passionate about. So I did my biochemistry degree and then then ended up working in startups. It was actually really hard for me to get a job after I graduated. Now I know everything happens for a reason, but at the time, like, it was quite demoralizing because I had the degree from a good university and I was living in South and the only reason I moved there was to be close to work. So I had no reason to really be there anymore. So I just asked if I could move back. My mum was like, of course you can. So I moved back and if I hadn't have moved back, I wouldn't have been accepted into this program called It which is for young entrepreneurs and they provide studio space and it's for local residents and overall like it's actually been nice to be back i have like people that i know here and it's just nice to be part of the community as it progresses i'm at a stage where i've changed my career completely so my income isn't stable anymore but this is like the happiest i've ever been just because i'm doing what i love and I'm doing the things that I'm good at and genuinely enjoy. Art, the arts is what makes me like happy.
1: I'm Vince, I'm the window cleaner of motor shops down here. I've been been doing it for nearly 35 years. I'm from here, yeah I was born around the corner. Yeah my dad did it before me in the in the late 50s, 60s, he was cleaning windows and dad's now passed, so I've sort of um, carried on the tradition. But the last one, I believe, because my son is an electrician. So he won't be doing window cleaning. I do three days a week. That's enough to keep me busy at my age. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Better, better to do it than not. Cut.
5: <laughs> you know, back in the days we used to work, well, I always do work for my uncles. We used to get busy for back to school. After this, as I started selling shoes, Tesco started selling kid shoes. They took the trade for away from us. There's no mercy. There's no limitation. There's no. They took all that trade. No, we don't. You can see any kid shoes in here. We stopped it. We cannot compete with their prices. We have to buy a stock from a middleman. They buy it from the factory directly. That's a completely different ball game. Like the amount of quantity they buy, so we're getting hit from left and right. To be honest with you.
16: My name's Hannah and we've been in this area since September. We moved here honestly to buy a house because the houses in the area that we were living and other areas were just too expensive for us and so this basically was the only area that we could afford that was close enough to where we work. Um, I'm a yoga teacher and I'm a yoga teacher
0: trainer. My name is Mahesh Topiwala, and I'm at the moment standing in what used to be my shop called Giftland. I was the owner of the shop since May 1987, and I've just handed the shop over to my son. So it's now his baby, he's doing something different. It was a completely different kind of street, different kind of clientele, totally different people. In 87, my shop was different. It was a houseware stuff. We were doing pots and pans and plasticware for bathrooms and all that sort of stuff. As far as my son is concerned, he's changing it to what the street requires now. He's putting in personalized products, anything embroidered while you're waiting. And it's a lot cheaper than being online. So it's nice, I'm pleased for him, I'm happy for him. All high streets change with times. I've been out on the road as a greeting cards rep and all that and you see things changing. You see all high streets changing. You get a high street that you deserve. People can say, oh, we haven't got this or we haven't got that, that's gone. What you've got is what you people need.
8: In the past 60 odd years since I've been here, I don't recognize it now. Sam Simon, and I arrived here in this area in 1962. I was born on a very small island where everybody knew everybody and everybody else's business. So <laughs> it was quite a challenge when I first arrived here. And of course, it was 1958. The country was still recovering from the war, so there were lots of jobs going. I could have had my choice of jobs because it was um, what we call the bulge then. Having classes of over 40 was quite the norm in London. You know, there were so many children at the time. They were asking teachers who'd retired to come back, so it was easy to get a job then.
1: By I moved together with someone because we'd married just shortly before that, so we bought a house together So, we, because we were in rented accommodation and it was difficult. We were often given two weeks' notice to leave or something. And so life wasn't very easy at that time for us, especially as the couple we are. We, we faced quite a bit of racism as well, so often we'd try and get a a place and they tell us as soon as they saw Simon on they say it's gone you know and it hadn't gone so we decided the only way was to buy a place then we were independent we were
8: living in a flat and decided uh, we'd move up with some friends another couple and we came to this area we met in 1959 you were brought by a friend who was a friend of mine
11: yeah,
8: <laughs> so, so to the party. Yeah. She graduated and found a apartment. so it was a housewarming.
1: I was studying physics, it was cosmic ray physics at that time, yeah. But once I got my PhD, I did a bit more uh, research here, and then there were some studies going on in East Africa. It was a very nice place to live, so I then said to Sir mom, let's move there which we did. And we stayed there for just over three years, didn't we? Until a military coup sent us packing. So um, I guess we had quite a nice life there.
8: There were so many other couples. It was just the norm, especially at the university. Nobody questioned anything. Nobody uh, raised eyebrows and we said, oh, you two together. It
1: was the norm. Um, but we didn't come back here. We went to Denmark. The reason for that was that the Danes were offering me a job and Simón was pregnant at that time as well. So we thought, well, Denmark is going to offer us all the things we need, which they did. It might sound strange, but I was in the Danish Space Research Institute and people always used to have a laugh, in fact, and say, does Denmark really have any space? Where? But they were. They were designing very um, compact instrumentation, mainly to go on American satellites. And then I got a job. As I changed tact. I started studying medical physics. And I got a job as a medical physicist at Hammersmith Hospital. And I had made a bit of a name for myself because I pioneered ideas for computer planning of surgery, which people hadn't done before. So when the department closed, the university offered me a job. The university said, well, we need people to teach these subjects. So I ended up as a university lecturer and then ended up as a professor eventually.
8: Nowhere seemed to suit us as much as here. That's why we stayed around.
17: Actually, the first time we drove up from M1, I quite liked the area because it's so busy, crowded, lots of different cultures. We could see that it's very multiracial. And I usually like that kind of area. I actually liked it at first sight. My name is Mumtaz, and I live very near the library. We came from Leeds, where we lived for a long time, 25-odd years, in the same house. We had to move to London because my husband got a illness. So I've got three children, two daughters and a son. The two girls lived and worked in London, so they were begging us to move to London so they could help with their dad. My husband didn't want to move at all because he was very settled there. He found it really hard to uproot himself, but with a lot of egging him on and nagging, we finally moved to London. I grew up first, I was born in a very small town in South India. The state is called Kerala. We grew up there until I was eight, I think. My father was a newspaper journalist. Kerala, although the education is 100%, there's not much industry there. And he moved to Bombay, and then we moved to Calcutta. I'm a doctor, and when I was younger, I worked in pediatrics, but as the kids came along, it was too busy. Then I moved on to GP work. So once I came to London, I still continued doing locum GP work and just one surgery up on the road. So I was doing it maybe two surgeries a week. Although I'm still on the books, I'm preferring to do more of this hospice work. In India, we have a thing called the hospital train. In lots of remote villages, there's no hospitals. We used to, as medical students, go and do little one stay all day a clinic and everybody would come in, get their jobs whatever, they'd wait the whole week for us to get there now they've started a train which goes into various villages and they come onto the train, the doctors are, So I might actually do it so it's a dream I'm thinking about
11: walked around Pimms Park, we kind of explored the high street. We were told that this area is really up and coming and there was going to be a trendy wine bar and a waitress downstairs, which obviously never manifested. But we were kind of sold the dream. But actually, I suppose what really did it was the price really, and also the connectivity into central London. My name's Yi Ting. I moved here in 2016 having previously had no connection to the area whatsoever but it was one of the only affordable places that we could buy a property in. We had no idea that say at night time there would be sort of issues with prostitution and crime and that we had no idea until we moved in really so it was a bit of a surprise. I would come home some evenings from the station and um, I would be approached by people who were looking for prostitutes and it was really disconcerting. It wasn't a safe environment, certainly. And so there were these problems always niggling in the background, but when you're working full time, you don't really feel like there's anything much you can do. So our first impression was not necessarily a positive one, but I think that's changed the longer that we've been here. My partner and I, we're both architects, and we set up our practice five years ago. So since then, we've been working quite heavily in the local area. Living here has really driven a lot of what our practice is about, and it's kind of shaped our work quite directly, just trying to make positive change in the area where we can with our skill set. Because we're still working in the area, there's lots of work to be done, we feel like, Um, not even from an architectural perspective, but from a community perspective and how much we can do to kind of improve that sense of community and also try and make the high street more appealing and feel safer for everyone. Downstairs from us is a 24-hour Turkish shop. I'm always discovering new ingredients and being a bit more experimental, I suppose. But it's just amazing that we have so much fresh produce and it's really well-priced as well and I think that's quite rare to find in London these days.
18: Well, I don't live here but I work here. What do I do? work in a supermarket, a manager. We are an international supermarket. We uh, have lots of uh, countries, obviously goods, you know, Romanian, Bulgarian, Turkish, Cypriot. We cover, you know, quite a big range. We have uh, daily fruit and veg coming in. We have butchery. We have our own uh, bakery. We open 24 hours, seven days. And uh, always lots of bargains here. They say Edmonton is, uh, you know, could be a lot of problems here and this and that. I I haven't witnessed a lot, considering we've been here just over three years. I don't see a lot of. uh, Obviously, there's problems everywhere, isn't it? You know, wherever you're in London. Originally I'm from Cyprus, Turkish Cypriot, but obviously I've been in this country a long time. Well when I arrived here, I arrived here with a t-shirt and a pair of jeans at had. My parents were here already, they came before me, I started school, but everything was so different. They looked after me, they gave me a teacher to, you know, because obviously my English wasn't all that, even though in Cyprus we do have English lessons, but uh, when I came here, they gave me a teacher one-to-one to teach me English, you know, which was very nice. I don't know if they can do it now. They probably can't. But then again, it wasn't many of us coming in that time. there was a lot less people 50 years ago. I've got three children. My oldest son, he's an architect. i got twins, a boy and a girl, which they're at Reading Uni, and they will be finishing this year, Hopefully.
7: My father is Hindu, my mom's Christian, so I was part of an interfaith relationship. When I was younger, I've been to a lot of Hindu temples and festivals. I've also went to Christian festivals as well. I've done the whole rosary and everything. If there's a tradition that I'd like to pass, awareness of different cultures and religions and faiths. We've recently added my sister's partner, who's from Palestine. He's a Christian-Palestinian. So we've kind of added this big family to our group now. So one thing that I'd like to pass on is obviously that and not to be afraid of introducing people of other cultures into your circle. My parents are from Sri Lanka. So they came here to England from the war, the Sri Lankan civil war that happened. So originally I'm from Enfield. At the age of five, I moved over here. I'm working in security right now but I recently finished my master's degree. I was in philosophy. Philosophy is kind of my life right now. I'm trying to get into PhD as well, but security is is part-time as well. My kind of interest in security, which is strange enough, because when I was in year five, year six, we were introduced to the ancient cultures. Our teachers kind of taught us about ancient Rome, ancient Greek cultures, you know, how they influenced society, but also there was a focus on ancient Egypt. The challenge was okay we're going to do a play on an egyptian historical figure but we're looking for someone to act the part as a role so we want you to come up with the best project on ancient egypt how they lived so i told my mum. my mom was like okay you're definitely going to get that acting role egypt was a big focus for me so I delved in a bit and I was like, okay, so who were kind of like the first security guards? Who were kind of like the first police officers or protectors of society? And I found out that they were from East Africa, a group called the Medjay. They were from Medjay, right? They were Nubian soldiers who were hired by the Egyptian pharaoh at the time. You know, they became kind of police officers, security guards, and they were even community leaders. So if there was a discrepancy between the royal family and the people the Mejai community leaders or even the police themselves would kind of be that connection. So I kind of see myself as a modern Mejai, if you know what I mean, like a protector of people. My name is Emily.
2: I have lived in Edmonton, I would say, majority of my life. I was born in Islington. Everything about me screams Islington, actually. My parents moved to Edmonton after they couldn't afford being in Islington. I believe they moved here when I would have been around five, but I was sent back home to West Africa to live with my grandparents because they were struggling with housing, struggling with finances. So, yeah, I spent the first 10 years of my life in Ghana, West Africa.
16: My name is Caroline, Emily's younger sister, born and bred North Londoner, fully-fledged Edmonton girl, um, if you can say that. Yeah, I haven't really escaped very far, to be honest. Still living in Edmonton, so I think there's a, a loyalty that runs very deep for me. Growing up with some of the families... It was just a real blend of different cultures and it always felt accessible there wasn't any sort of limits and that's how we've really grown with our community elderly neighbors as well there was one on our street called doris always looking out and was the one that was very quick to report if you were out of line those things for me served as accountability and always helped me remember that there was always someone watching out for me in the community I mean, we had some great
2: neighbours. You felt so safe and so cared for. And it was really nice because they were English and we were Africans, but we got on so beautifully. And they really, really supported us, knowing that, obviously, we are from the hot continent and we've struggled with the cold. And also just things that our parents didn't know or understand. We could easily have the conversation with them and then they will be able to explain it to our parents. And that's what we really want for Edmonton, to have that stronger and that safer community, which I feel that we've
16: lost a little bit of in
2: recent years.
16: So really instilling some of the values we've grown up and passing that down and that forms and serves as a legacy. I think for the fact that we also have a business that looks after women and
2: girls, we are concerned as to how women and girls are being treated and some of the challenges that families are going through. Having the individuals know that they are invested in, we think it will
16: change the narrative and it will change the whole landscape. What so far keep coming up, will start with the safety. Following from safety is the deprivation. Following the deprivation is also access to education. And then safe spaces as well, community where people feel trusted, where they can show up and essentially they can receive some support. That's really what it is, that act of kindness, because that's what is part of our
2: business ethos, really to make sure that we give back to the community. Because I think the only way somebody can experience something positive is to be at the receiving of having something positive being given to them. We love Edmonton. (laughs) There is real love. 4th Street would say,
17: please don't gentrify me. I like the people who are living here now who can afford to live here.
19: If it could talk, help
7: me. (laughs) I need love. I need love and attention. You want to get to know different people. It's a good spot.
11: Respect me. Yeah, I think... Ford Street would say, treat me with kindness and compassion and um, respect. If it could speak, it would say, this space for me. Help. <laughs> I'm
16: crying out
1: for help. I think there's a possibility for optimism.
7: We are the angels of Edmonton.
4: That was Echoes of Angels, a social broadcast by me, Lucia Scadzocchio. Commissioned by Ford Street for All. Next, we join Enfield's People's Theatre with local producer Sovex Lowe behind the scenes of their latest production, Bread and Roses, a community play recounting the 1915 Edmonton rent strikes and the community action led and won by local women, drawing parallels with the current housing crisis.
3: a maroon community media
4: production.
12: I'm a retired drama teacher. Bread and Roses is the International Women's Day anthem known by countless women across the world. It originates in America and in a women's strike where they decided they were fighting for bread but they were fighting for roses too. And so from the beginning it was embracing the idea that we want a better life, a better quality of life and not just the basics. So when I was doing this it struck me that the 1915 women were very much like that they were fighting for basics of the rent decent rent but they were fighting to be treated to, with respect and to gain a better life and that's what I've tried to put across in the play So this was very exciting to me that right here in Edmonton there was this kind of nugget of a story about these women that led a rent strike that was actually successful and in a period where they were not only called and criticized for being bad wives and bad mothers but they were also considered to be traitors because the First World War was going on. to love music hall of course, it was the working class popular theatre it was uh, an expression of that and for a good night out people would go to the music hall um, the songs it wasn't feminist exactly but the female singers, the women singers they were a bit risque they, they were kind of cheeky they flirted with the men in the audience and so on and Mary Lloyd was the leader he performed a lot in Edmonton Music Hall in fact she died until her last performance was at Edmonton Musical. But of course she sang My Old Man Says Follow The Van, a story about eviction. Evictions were so common, sometimes you'd have a family outside waiting to get in and the old family booted out, the new family just shunted in.
20: Coming over, Faith. What I want now is a good, substantial feed, and I sort of kind of feel if I don't soon have a meal, I shall have to rob the linen of its (laughs) seed. My old man says, follow the van and don't do darling on the way." Mary Duggan, I live in Enfield and I've been resident there for most of my life so I've been asked to play Mary Lloyd the singer. Very exciting um, she's a Tottenham lady, she's a local lady, I do Cockney voices so it's just right for me and um, and I can just about sing, I can sing uh, so yeah and I love costumery so uh, it's giving me the best uh, position I can have. And the part is um, basically, she's a um, musical lady who wasn't seen as fit enough to perform in front of the king. Uh, uh, And on the same day that there was a performance for the king, they did this musical thing, and she had a lot of spunk, and she said, are you having a good time to the crowd? And she said, we're having a better time than the king. So she had, she was um, a real um, activist in her own, through her own mediums. I uh-huh. shall have to the of seed <laughs> my old man so from singing, before we start with
21: marie, marie lloyd singing she's going to start on stage and work her way through the audience and do the whole song so and the chorus when she gets to the my old man bit we'll all join in whether that stays or not but we'll try that for now is that right I'm Shirley Mason, also known as Cuban Red. My role in this play is the director. I give thanks for the privilege to be a part of this amazing production and also to be able to utilise the skills that I have and to work with an amazing bunch of people. Community theatre is made up of people who are interested in telling a story, in sharing a laugh with each other as they do it, and also learning and honing some skills as they learn about theater and acting and production. This this play has many messages enveloped in it. The main one being about the 1915 strike in Edmonton, which was led by women and it was successful. They actually managed to secure lower rents and get the landlords turned about face. So That's one of the messages. It's also about the war, memories of the war, but also quite a strong anti-war message in it as well. It's about homelessness, poverty, children, families. It's about home. It's about needing and wanting a home and what people are actually willing to do to make sure they have one. The director has to tease out of the script that they're given to match with place that they're performing in and with the performers that they have which previously you mentioned West End skills well usually community theatre people are not West End skills as a director I have to be patient (laughs) Um, and have an understanding way of working with people so that not only the best comes out for the play but also the best comes out for them as individuals, helping them to be confident, helping them to realise that they can do it and actually having a really good time together.
22: (laughs) of France. The warm summer breeze makes the red poppy stands. The trenches are buried long under the plough. There's no gas, no barbed wire, there's no guns firing now. My name is Philip Fox. I'm playing the part of a elderly gentleman who's visiting the war graves in northern france uh, in the current day it's a hot day he's wandering through the thousands of graves that are in the war cemeteries in northern france very hot and he's tired he sees the grave of one young fallen soldier and sits down next and sings the song the green fields of france Well. The play raises question marks about British workers' involvement in the First World War and it also raises the sadness involved at the loss of our finest young men at the front. And the song is a reflection of this. It's very sad at the great loss and also very angry that such a loss was avoided.
10: Ella Washa, and i'm in this play bread and roses i'm playing the part of harry the conscientious objector mo one of the clearers in the pub the one of the bailiffs, so Harry is um, basically he's objecting to the war, the First World War. He's like dead set against it, even though he has um, like a generally nervous disposition. But he feels like so strongly about it that he's managed to kind of overcome that, and he's joined um, with Annie in her protest against it, and he helps to support her, um, even though. Um, she's always getting locked up in prison, <laughs> and he's always effectively having to like, look after her when she gets out. And they just go on their protests um, together, and they're both really vocal about it because um, they just feel really strongly that this war should not have been happening at all. And they live together as well, but they're not married. However, the landlord, on top of trying to kick them out at one point in one scene, he tries to effectively almost tries to judge their relationship effectively, tries to judge them for being under the same roof and not married, effectively. So that kind of old-style mentality that, oh, a man and a woman are living together, they must be married, and there's something wrong with them if they're not.
19: I'm Ian Inch, I'm from Enfield People's Theatre.
10: part I
19: play, the main part, is a, a barman who is not at first a very sympathetic character, but he really gradually comes round and, and he becomes more human and uh, turned out to be a bit of a goody in the end. Uh, it, he's, he's actually the manager, in, in fact, because uh, he lives above the pub and the pub's going to be demolished. So he's going to be homeless because most of the, the play is about homelessness to a very large extent, um, so rent, well, rent strikes and this sort of thing. And um, so he's, although I, I suppose he's someone who hasn't really questioned it, the whole system very much, but it, it's, it's rather focused his mind on, on the way things ah and um the the, the is conversion i suppose
21: yeah my name's wendy pettifer and i play the part of annie the suffragette in the play well she's obviously very militant she's really trying to encourage women in edmonton to participate both in um the conscientious objection movement and uh later on in the rent strike my name is Kathy O'Leary and my role in the play is Elsie she's a mother um, of two children during the play at one point in the play her 14 year old son tries to join up and she says get right back home get back home to Pretoria Road sorry I'm loud back to Pretoria Road you're not going to Gallipoli and we all know what happened at Gallipoli so it's very moving you know Many of us had grandparents who died in the war or were injured in the war, so it's still, it's still our history and it's good to learn from it.
15: 1915 and the men are at war while the women at home cleaning the floor. The Langos have the
2: car, is high up the wind It's 1915. Is this the end? Edmonton Green, the place we call home. Soon it will be a moving out zone.
15: I'm Ashley Pedro. I'm a singer, songwriter, and guitarist. The song it's to tell a story starting from 1915 and how the Reynolds strike first happened and it evolves into 2023 and how it's happening again and how history repeats itself. When Lizzie told me about what we had to write our song based on, I already had an idea that I wanted to make it into a story. They say say that they'll change but they never change all of us struggling to pay the rent. That's my favourite part.
2: My name is Lizzie
4: Hart. I'm the company director of Everybody Loves Music. So I think we were delivering programmes and we bumped into Linda and she asked, you know, kind of whether we could be a part of this production. And, And we started talking to some of the young people that we were working with and just trying to get them to see if they wanted to write some songs for the production and be involved basically.
9: My name's Pushat. I am also a singer-songwriter, and I do also play guitar as well. It's slightly different in the top because it branches off to what home means to me. And that's why I write about in my song about what home should be: a place of love and comfort and happiness. That's a play. I was evicted when I was around 11 or 12. So I did have to stay in emergency accommodation for a couple nights and that was quite scary considering the fact that I was so young and I didn't really understand it at that point but I think now growing up I kind of see how it was quite a stressful situation especially for my family at the time. I want to go where I feel love. Be told that I'm mean now love without boundaries one it
8: unconditional
3: Yeah, my name's Alison. I'm playing a couple of roles. The one I find most enjoyable is the role of Cruella Braverman.
1: If she doesn't scare you No evil thing will
18: Oh, To roger. see her
1: is to take a sudden chill
18: oh.
1: Cruella
3: The backdrop of um, the evictions and so on in the modern day is the kind of levelling up idea and the deprivation and stuff that's going on across the country, especially in Edmonton. And we visit the pub that's going to be demolished because we want to have a little photo opportunity and we want to be part of the um, brave new world of knocking down pubs and building luxury flats. I like it because I can kind of make her, you know, bring out all the nastiness that's, that's, that's there in my in my role and also the ridiculousness of some of the stuff that they say never forget that we must protect our borders from the foreign invaders in small boats you know that is just you know it sounds so silly doesn't it it kind of you know because she is quite heartless absolutely heartless and um particularly in regards to um, well anybody actually but especially people who are refugees that are in trouble that need to come here
12: That witch, that
20: devil woman, she wants our puppies, that's all she's... Red
22: and Roses is directed by Shirley Mason. Written and produced by Linda Brennan. Performed by Enfield People's Theatre in partnership with Everyone Loves Music.
2: Untold Edmonton is funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and administered by Enfield
22: Council. This podcast is produced by Sovex Lowe, the Maroon Community Media.
4: That was Bread and Roses by Sovex Low, and this was the Transmitter Radio Hour. For more radio, podcasts, and sound art discoveries, head to xmtr.fm, a curated sonic storytelling platform made for independent makers, shakers, and craftspeople. I'll be back with more audio, radio and podcast discoveries in November. In the meantime, happy listening.